genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, because you demanded it, we begin our miniseries on The Mummy Franchise, winner of this year's Listener Pick Tournament, starting with the Stephen Sommers adventure film that started it all. It's 1999's The Mummy. And we have a guest. Joining us to talk about bioawakenings, dangerous stunts, and hominoptera, it's Gary Roby. Hello! I am so delighted to be here. <laughs> yeah, welcome back to the show, Gary. What? I'm struggling to remember the last time we had you on. It was for Spy Kids. Wow. Like, a year yeah. and a half, two years? I don't even know how long this has been two, happening. At this I think two, two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, because Spy Kids yeah. was after our, our X-Men summer, which was 2021. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, uh, glad we could have you on, you know, being a, both a listener and a guest on the show. We could think of no better guest to start off our listener pick for 2023. Yeah. So delighted. So <laughs> delighted. I voted for this in every every part of the bracket I could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Mummy, I don't think there was ever a point in the tournament back in March where the Mummy wasn't dominating. Scott, you think yeah. that's fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were there were some uh, picks where I was like, I was like, so it, it was always like the Mummy is going to be a finalist. And then it's like. For sure. And then it's like, well, who who's going to go up against the mummy was the question. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And uh, and and yeah, uh, ultimately, you know, the mummy, the mummy uh, reigned victorious, which would have been if you would have put a gun to my head and been like, guess which one of these franchises is going to win this listener pick tournament. I'm like, ah, probably the mummy. Stop holding a gun to my head. The mummy. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you remember but, who uh, was in the finals yeah. with the mummy? I don't even remember because it was always the mummy's game. Maybe like Superman, I think, or maybe maybe it was Superman. But uh, Gary, you don't have to check if that's what you're doing. I was literally just like, <laughs> but I bet you I could find it. It's <laughs> a lot of a lot of backtracking. Um, it is a lot of backtracking. So, Gary, what is uh, you know you you were you were you know such a, a diehard for this movie on the franchiseography Discord in the polls? Yeah. What is your relationship with uh, the Mummy franchise? Uh, uh, in your life i don't remember the first time i saw this movie like mm. it must have been when it came out like i was definitely a kid um and it quickly became one that we watched a lot like i love brendan fraser and was a fan of him in like other things i think i was a i loved george's the jungle as a kid i loved um God, a handful of other things that he had appeared in. And like, but this is so fun. This is like a bit like an adventure movie in a way that I hadn't like seen it, like a lot of others like it. 
And, uh, and it's playing with like Egyptian history and stuff. And I find that cool. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Scott being, uh, somewhat of an elder millennial, I'm, I'm interested Mm -hmm. to hear what your, uh, history was. I mean, you were already kind of in, in like middle school when, when this dropped in 99, correct? Um, I was, I was, uh, I think this dropped at the very end of my eighth grade year. Um, Mm. I saw this for my birthday, uh, in 1999, um, with all of my friends. Uh, we all went to the movies. Uh, we did that, uh, a few times, um, during that era, the, my birthday, my first birthday with this group of friends was this, was the mummy. We all saw the mummy together. And then my next birthday with that same group of friends in 2000 was Mission Impossible 2. Guess which one of those went over better. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, I, uh, I remember just being like, I mean, this was this was the way that I remember it um, was that this was a phenomenon um, as far as. And and no one was expecting it because everyone um, was sort of like staring directly at Phantom Menace coming out three weeks later Mm. Um, that they were like, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be the thing. That's going to be the hit of the summer. Um, And it it certainly was. But I don't think anyone was expecting what the mummy did. And I also believe that the mummy is so good and people loved it so much that it is a, a I think it added to the backlash that people had to The Phantom Menace, mm. which was like, wait, 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 we had a movie three weeks ago that was an adventure movie with romance and chemistry and fun dialogue. And now we get this, which is like stilted and for children. What mm-hmm. the hell happened? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back and there was like a pretty good romance in that why wasn't any of that in this? And yeah, and I, I, I do think that they're, they're, you know, I don't think it's directly related, but I do think that this movie set people, set Phantom Menace up for failure in the eyes of a lot of audience members at the time. Um, because this is kind of everything you want from that kind of movie. Yeah. And Phantom Menace was doing something completely different. Hmm. Um, Trade negotiations. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, I mean, yeah, Phantom Menace really could have used like some, if not Brendan Fraser's and then Brendan Fraser energy or John Hanna energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It needed a lot of uh, different energies other than just like sleepy George Lucas energy. Um, Just in general. Uh, (laughs) You know, none of them are even in the same room right now. No, I know George. Yeah. Everybody had that energy. That was... Across the board, that was the energy of everyone in that movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, this was like a big, exciting summer blockbuster movie. Um, it's a it's a remake, but it doesn't feel like one. It feels like a an original movie. Um, it's kind of a remake in like title and the name of the mummy alone, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a big. Adventure movie, I remember lots of comparisons to Indiana Jones, um, which I think is fair. However, I have uh, additional things that I want to talk about when we get into the to the breakdown that I noticed this time um, watching the movie uh, of other things that I think it's playing with. Um, but um, 
yeah, it's it's just a it's a really great movie. It's got crazy great romantic chemistry. Um, Brendan Fraser is just like killing it in this movie. Yeah, um, killing it. And I mean, everybody's really good, but like Brendan Fraser is just on and he's just cooking on another level. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he's exactly the energy that the prequels needed. Uh, like a human little like scamp. You know, like they just, yeah. those movies needed like that kind of energy just mixed in there with everything else. Somebody to be like, oh boy, trade negotiations, huh? Well, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> like some kind of like. <laughs> Is anybody else lost right now? Like, yeah, something, and even a little <laughs> bit more of that, um, <laughs> a little more of that human touch. And uh, he is so good in this movie. Um, and uh, that's, that's my big takeaway, I think. Uh, what about you, Nick? That, something that I learned uh, interesting, though, that you bring up Phantom Menace, Scott, there is a decisive move that happened on Universal's part in releasing this movie that I think could have changed the course of this movie and therefore our generation's history or identity. Mm. Uh, this movie was originally scheduled to release on May 21st, 1999. Woof. Oh, no. <laughs> Which would have put it after in the in the middle of Phantom Menace's rollout, yeah, and so uh, uh, in, so at some point, uh, one of the you know Universal was looking at the behemoth, the coming storm of of uh, Phantom Menace, which at the time people thought that movie was going to be Titanic, right, and become the highest grossing movie you've ever made. And if it was, I don't want to keep shooting on Phantom Menace. If it was a more if it was more of a crowd pleasing movie, let's say, yeah. I think that could have happened if it didn't have the steep drop that it did. Right. Yeah. But people were surprised or it was sort of a, a testament of like, wow, it didn't beat Titanic. We really thought that was going to happen. But anyway, yeah. so they made the decision to move the mummy from May 21st to May 7th in order to yeah. get out of Phantom Menace's way. And then I think what you said, Scott, happened where this movie came out before Phantom Menace as opposed to after. Yeah. And, you know, we're recording this time of recording at the tail end of the summer movie season where uh, a kind of a, a reverse effect has happened where we had a big movie come out in July, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, that uh, is somewhat financially underperforming at the box office relative to its cost, relative to it being a Mission Impossible movie. Uh, and a lot of people, especially are, domestically, it's doing OK internationally for sure. And, you know, I've been reading some like box office takes where like, oh, my God, the Paramount was offered by IMAX. Like, hey, do you want to release this after Oppenheimer? Maybe like around August. And Paramount was like, no, fuck you. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> and as a result, Dead Reckoning only had a week playing in IMAX screens before Oppenheimer came out and is like breaking records IMAX records and like selling out week after week, day after day, no matter the time, no matter the screening. And so it's interesting that like the reverse, cause like, you know, who will never know what would have happened if, you know, the, the mission impossible could have owned August, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just find, you know, when these movies come out matters and not just in a purely financial state, but like you said, Scott, who like this movie could have had a totally different, it's we could have gotten washed away in the wake of Phantom Menace, but instead mm-hmm. it had this nice little pocket of time to be the cool hit movie for the kids, like Star Wars was back in seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. It's also um, 
the early days of releasing uh, blockbusters pre-Memorial Day. Because um, mm. that was, you know, the understood thing up to this point was like, yeah, the first movie of the summer is Memorial Day weekend because everyone's out of school. And so it's like, yeah, we're going to kick off summer Memorial Day weekend with a big blockbuster. Um, now the summer movie season has inched all the way back to like the beginning of April in some years. Um, but, you know, at the time they're like, no, you got to wait for the kids to get out of school or they can't, you know, go see the movie like all summer mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so the fact that this movie was like a big hit in that first week of May spot, like that was still like a fairly new thing. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the understood like blockbuster like, oh, it's the first it's it's the first it's the Marvel movie of the summer. We open we get, you know, Marvel gets that opening May slot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gary, do you remember coming back to school or like being a kid that summer, maybe, and hearing like your friends or kids at school, like being excited about the mummy and Brendan Fraser and all that? You know, the more I think about it, like, I don't think I saw this in theaters. Like, I remember going to see Phantom Menace was like a big deal because I was already like a little bit of a Star Wars fan. But like we saw it opening weekend and I was like the perfect age for it, right? Mm. Fully on board. Didn't know till years later that people didn't like that movie. For sure. Um, but I think, I think we got the mummy. My mom worked at Blockbuster. And so this was one of those things that like, we would rent this all the time. Mm. And so I remember like, I think that following school year, like talking to friends about it and like reenacting scenes on the playground and like doing that whole thing. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I, I missed the whole like the the summer blockbuster element of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, being a little older, do you kind of remember your friends or like summer going back to school? They're like, oh man, Rachel Weisz, Brendan Fraser, oh the Mummy was so good. What the hell was that Phantom Menace thing though? Like, um, was that kind of the no, narrative? I mean, I, I, I remember. I mean, I school was still in, um, right at this yeah. point. Uh, so, Early so May. you know, we we just talked about it in real time. Um. But uh, even even Phantom Menace, like I, I skipped a, I skipped that school day um, to go see it uh, in the afternoon or something like that. Mm. Um, and it was still sold out, which was just crazy uh, at the time. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember people talking about Brendan Fraser or or Rachel Weisz, like in particular. I think it was just more like, wow, what a great movie. Like it's so it, it was just like it was so fun. I mean, you know, I was a little older, so like. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like uh, about to become uh, high school freshmen, but you weren't playing at recess. Um, you weren't playing mummy at recess. No, no, we were <laughs> not playing mummy at re- recess. Um, but uh, yeah, back when I had recess, we played uh, Mission Impossible and The Rock. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they left us to die. Our country betrayed us. I mean. You you would be surprised how accurate that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, a lot of, a lot of walking around with our fingers pinched, like we're holding a gun. Um, oh, of course. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, it's you, you're the rocket. Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of, a lot of pulling off fake masks yeah, and yeah. stuff too. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. You be, I, Kit, I just you be Kit Ridge and I'll be Ethan. Sorry. Yeah. I just remember <laughs> the big thing being, um, 
that people were seeing it multiple times. Like, like we saw it all at my birthday and then like, you know, a couple of my friends, I had saw it again that weekend with like their families. Um, and then I remember like that kind of continuing the next weekend people were like, I Mm -hmm. saw the mummy again. Like I remember people being like really into it and being like, it was really fun. It reminded me a lot of the summer of 2003 when no one expected Pirates of the Caribbean to be the hit that it was. Yeah. Um, it reminded me like it's, it was exactly like that summer, um, is what it felt, but you know, it only lasted a couple of weeks and then Phantom Menace was the only thing anyone talked about. Um, and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't kind of come back around until like Gary said, it hit video and then it was like a big video hit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's kind of why I ended up like watching it so many times. mm -hmm. Like, Easily revisiting it because it's just such a fun romp. And then every time I met someone or had a friend who's like, you've never seen The Mummy? Like, we have to sit down and watch this right now. Like, yeah. I yeah. still do that. My, I found out <laughs> yesterday that my roommate had never seen it. And I was like, well, you're watching it with me then. <laughs> I also did not watch this in theaters. I remember, you know, I was still kind of live action movies weren't really my bag yet by the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if it was Tarzan or, or Mulan, yeah, I was seeing that in theaters. I definitely saw Phantom Menace in theaters because that was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? You know, that's Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars is back. But um, I have this really weird, vivid memory of being at like the video game movie section of like a, of a Kmart or a Target. And they were playing a video ad for The Mummy. And mm. I remember this pull quote. You know, back when they would do like pull quotes, you know, like critics are calling the mummy a rip roaring adventure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And one, someone, some critic said, it's Indiana Jones for a new generation. And yeah, I remember being eight and being like, oh, oh. <laughs> I like, I like Indiana Jones. I'm, I'm a new generation. I'm a new generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I should probably check this out. And um, yeah. I vividly remember my parents renting the mummy at Blockbuster and that being like our family movie night movie with like the lights turned off and like, you know, microwave popcorn and being so compelled by the, by the adventure and the comedy and the fun, but also the mummy, the first mummy really freaked me out as a kid and Mm -hmm. scared me, especially Mm -hmm. Pre, like when Imhotep is like, you know, sulk skulking around and like sucking the energy out of people, and that early yeah. CG animation where he's like a monster. And yeah. I was at that age where you know movies could still really scare me, and I would kind of avoid scary movies. Like I knew not to watch movies that were scary, but also was sort of titillated and compelled by them. And yeah. like being like, "Oh, this is scary," but I still want to keep watching because, like, yeah, you know, the adventure of it was was there too. I think that's the other reason why this movie is so important to, um, you know, people of 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 our generation, uh, much more so you guys, uh, a little younger than me. Um, you know, I really like this movie, but it's like it's like, yeah, what a great movie. And that's kind of the end of sure, it for yeah. me. Yeah. But I think I think the reason why it means so much to people in your age range is exactly what you're talking about. It's it is scary, but it's safe, scary. Right. Yeah. In in the same way, in the same way that it's really fucking sexy, but it's mm-hmm. safe, sexy. Like it's not like it's not like um gross. Like like the sexiest moment in the movie is when uh is is when um 
uh, she gets like her new outfit. Right. And yeah. She, and, mm. and it's and it's so sexy, but she's technically wearing more clothes than she was before. Yeah. And and so it's like it's this weird, like safe, sexy thing. Uh, and, and so like, I think there was just a lot of feelings happening with everyone and like, and like, oh, another great example is like when she's super drunk and leans in for the kiss and then passes out and Mm -hmm. he doesn't do anything. He just tucks her in safe, sexy, but safe. You know, you feel safe with Rick. You feel safe with her. Like everything is like, you're starting to feel these feelings for the first time. And this movie is giving them to you, but it's not, like, so overreaching that it feels like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind of a... Feelings is a good word. And, uh, again, very Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Mm -hmm. Pearl, where, Mm -hmm. you know, kids younger than Gary and I would go on to say, like, oh, my God, like, you know, uh, Orlando Bloom and Kiara Knightley and Jack Sparrow, that was, like, my bi-awakening. Or I just remember being so, like... Why am I feeling this stuff for little moments yeah. that, you know, there's no like sex in that movie. Like, right. Whereas but... for our generation, it was by confirmation. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> less yeah. so than awakening. That's the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. Uh, really? Because I remember as a kid being like, oh, The Mummy, that was such a fun movie. But then later, as we started getting access to the internet and we all started coming out of our suburban towns and meeting and finding each other in college and after college and <clears throat> hearing stuff like, oh, yeah, like, when I, you know, there's that other moment, kind of uh, uh, Evelyn's moment, where she's like, "Got that O'Connell? He's such a gross, smelly, stinky bastard." And then Brendan Fraser comes out, and he's like shaved and got his hair cut, and she's yes! like, "Lo, we very nice." <laughs> right. That moment he shows up, and it's like, "Oh my god, he's so hot!" Like, yes, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that moment, and like, you know, I've heard, you know, I've read stuff where it's like, "Oh my gosh, I just remember being like eight and seeing like Rachel Vice chained to that slab." And mm-hmm. being like, wait, why am I getting these feelings? Why do I think that's uh-huh. sexy? And I was, I've been, because th- like this isn't, I remember learning that from other people and being kind of surprised um, because I don't think that movie, I don't think The Mummy was that for me personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, whoa, what is this? Wow. Because like, I guess to me, it was like, well, every movie has a hot guy and a hot girl. Like, yeah. Why is this, why was this an unlocking moment, a canon event for so many people? And I, (laughs) and I think, think watching the movie last night and thinking about it all day, it says a lot, and this is also kind of Pirates of the Caribbean, Scott, which is crazy. I wasn't thinking about this movie before you mentioned it, but yeah, so many movies forget to make the ride fun for everyone. Yes. And I think you can be like eight years old or 10 years old watching The Mummy and you go out of the playground or at the park with your friends and you can pretend to be Rick or Evie mm-hmm. or both or what switching back and forth or yeah. wanting yeah. to kiss Rick or wanting to kiss Evelyn or wanting to be yeah. Rick or wanting to be Evelyn. And they both have fun adventures in this movie. And like, yeah, Evelyn is damseled at the end of this, but she is like as much of the adventure as Rick, even more than like Marion yeah. is in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? Yeah. But she's also damseled by choice. Right. Mm-hmm. To yeah. save everyone. It's a heroic sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. She uh, subverts that like idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like when she and Rick first 
like encounter each other when he's in the in the cell. He tar- turns and talks to her brother first, and he's like, "She's the one who's in charge here." Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, it's also, and again, like going back to like the sexy but safe thing. Another really sexy thing about this movie is how much they respect each other uh, and respect what they bring to the table. Like he loves how smart she is. He thinks that that's really fucking hot. And she thinks it's really hot that he's handsome and a big strap and adventurer, um, which is not the kind of guys that she's normally hanging out with. And certainly not the type of guys that tend to, uh, uh, you know, look her way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so like, it's just like all around, there's like a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. And I think that a lot of like very like bookish, um, uh, bookish people saw themselves in Evie and was like, oh, mm-hmm. like this is really hot that this guy would be like into a girl like this or a person like this. And, and I think that there's a lot of like himbo type people who are like, ah, it's kind of hot that this like smart girl would be into this like dumb guy, <laughs> um, yeah. you know? And so like, yeah, I think there's a lot of like wish fulfillment going on. And on top of all of that, the sexiness is mixed with the titillating horror, which mm-hmm. is pushing the same brain buttons the same way the pirates did. Did a lot of common common stuff with this in the Pirates franchise. Yeah. Because the yeah. Pirates franchise also dances around with like horror stuff, horror elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that mixture is, I think it just like there's like a chemistry to it in our brain that merges those things together of the the horror and the and the sexy and, and all of that is like because they're both kind of um, taboo. Right. And so mixing them together in a very safe adventure filled like package, it just it all goes down really smooth. And in our child brains that are still forming, we're just like, I don't know what all that was, (laughs) but it meant a lot. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of shit just happened all at once. (laughs) It's because even. Even the mummy himself, Emotep himself, is like totally. an incredibly attractive man. Yeah, and like we, yeah, as, we haven't as, even as, talked about that. But yes. or, we yeah. see him in the beginning. We get this opening sequence of him and and and, and Anaxuna Moon, the woman that he's who with, is also uh, like Anaxuna a babe. Moon. Yeah. They're gorgeous, right? And it's like a tragedy what happens to him. They're in and love. Then, when he comes back and he starts like regenerating, and you see the man he used to be again, it's like oh damn, like. <laughs> You're also hot. Like this is unfair. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like there that there's though like everything he's doing is for you know, like there's a part where he sees Anaxana Moon's mummy and he's yeah. like, Oh, soon my beloved. You know. Yeah. There is this kind of like anti hero like it's, he's a tragic character. Yeah. Like oh he's well, he like, also he also he also brutally murders a guy. So let's He absolutely uh, does. Yeah. He absolutely does. <laughs> they both do. They but both like, kill the pharaoh. Yeah, right. I know. That's why I'm like, I'm like, all right, let's take a step back from the tragic love story. They're they're assholes, to be clear. <laughs> they, they, yes, they yeah. did murder the pharaoh. <laughs> but I mean, when you're like yes. eight, though, you know, the you were, same right? Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, but he, the yeah. pharaoh's the bad guy in the situation. It feels like, but but we don't know that because we don't see we don't. him you're be right. an asshole yeah. at any yeah. point. Um, yeah, I want to have. He literally just walks Scott. in and be like, be, walks in and is like, "What's going on here? Am I being cucked?" And, and then just gets stabbed, stabbed seven times and dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, so a uh, lot of great, great stuff. I can't wait to talk about. But um, so 
this is unique for franchiseography because uh, this is the first time really that we're covering a movie series that uh, we kind of weren't super like pumped about. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, we I, like I, so I was kind of like going in like, wow, OK, I have to do research on the mummy movies now, you know, um, and uh, one kind of question that I had going into it uh, to kind of pique my own interest was uh, Imhotep real mm-hmm. dude. Or not? Oh, and uh, I do want before please. you answer that question. Please. I do want to clarify one thing about us not being pumped, super pumped about this. Um, I don't want to just leave it at that. Sure. The reason is just because this movie has been talked to death. A and we like talking about franchises that don't don't necessarily get a lot of a lot of uh, attention, right? I I think we we find that a little bit more interesting, right? There's a million like. Uh, articles and think pieces and 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 behind the scenes like production things and I'm sure there's like some kind of like oral history or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. All of those mm-hmm. things exist about this movie and and so it was just like not as exciting of a thing for us. Than well, it normally like that we have yeah. like a reason. Like I want to cover yeah. Wes Anderson or I want to cover Spider Man because X and right. The reason we're covering the Mummy movies is the listeners wanted us to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Um. And and then uh, uh, the other part of that, like of of the lack of excitement, is because th- this is the good one. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. now we have to cover like three like three more movies that are not so good, um, but we still have to cover them. And it's because everyone wanted us to talk about this movie, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. and and so that's the other reason. So uh, but, yeah. not looking forward to a bunch of like talks on the discord like two months from now we're like yeah i never listened to the other ones i just listened to this one (laughs) (laughs) yes great awesome fuckers um Um, thanks for voting for it uh but that being said yeah oh we're so you know we are not going to be covering the scorpion king for scheduling reasons oh yes we yeah we exercise that for the schedule i think we talked about it and it was just like Scorpion King is in Mummy Returns, but like the Scorpion King movie doesn't, it has like nothing to do with the Mummy movies. And it just felt like, uh, I don't, it's its own yeah. franchise also because of all the direct to video sequels. So it just didn't feel like something that we should do. And it was like the only person who was excited about us covering that, I think, was Norman on the Discord. <laughs> um, past guest of the show, Norman. Uh, and no one and no one else. And I feel like a lot of people like when the Scorpion King episode hit their feeds, they would be like, oh, okay. oh, I got to wait. A, now I got to wait another week for a real episode, you know? Um, <laughs> and so I, I was like, yeah, let's just cut it. And and it did work better for our schedule because of what we're covering uh, after this. So, yeah, yes, which we will reveal. Um, but that being said, to, to get a little bit of history, real life history out of the way. Get ready, Gary. We're doing we're doing some Mr. Peabody Sherman stuff. On franchisography yes. this week. <laughs> so uh, Imhotep was actually a real human that existed. Mm. Uh, he was an Egyptian Egyptian ch- chancellor to Pharaoh Dozer in the late 20th century BC. And much like the movie version of Imhotep, he was high priest to the Pharaoh, uh, priest of the sun god Ra. Uh, but that's pretty much where similarities end. There is no record of Imhotep cucking and murdering the Pharaoh. <laughs> uh real life imhotep was remembered as a great author of wisdom texts especially that as a physician 
Um, and somewhat interestingly, there was sort of a post-death cult around Imhotep that began to circulate in the, the centuries after his death. Uh, he is one of few, one of only a dozen non-royal Egyptians to be deified after their, after their death. Uh, he is remembered as a god of medicine and wisdom. Uh, rumor has it that he built and designed the pharaoh's square, what's the phrase, uh, flat pyramids. You know, most pyramids are like py- pointy, triangular. Yeah. Oh, sure. oh, like um, like a like a step like a step pyramid. Exactly, like step a... pyramids. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so like okay. f- flat rectangular shapes as opposed to um triangular based and also known to be the first human to use stone columns to support a building oh wow which is like you know you forget at some point someone had to come up with it first yeah hey, you know what i bet these could support the shit out of a building so so <laughs> so, uh, so of course they use emotep in this movie, because that is the the name of the mummy in the original Boris Karloff mummy yes. movie. Um, did you happen to... I know we're not covering that movie because we consider that part of the Universal Monsters canon, not part of this franchise. It's a different, completely different tone. Um, but did you happen to see why they chose Imhotep as the mummy in that movie? Well, Scott, in order to get to this 1999 version of the mummy we are going to briefly glance like like the kids in ray bradbury's the halloween tree (laughs) just just glide over briefly the 1930s mummy so okay flash forward to the 1930s head of universal pictures and hollywood legend carl lemley jr was on a hot streak right uh the year before his movies dracula and Frankenstein were huge hits with critics and at the box office. And he was uh, raring to keep that train going. He was greatly inspired by uh, the opening of King Tutankhamun's tomb a decade earlier Mm -hmm. in 1922. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so he was like, oh, let's make an Egyptian-themed horror movie. I want one of those. So he turned to a writer, Richard Shiler, to find... Uh, much like Frankenstein and Dracula, uh, a novel to base their Egyptian-themed horror movie off of. And they weren't able to find one. There is no sort of, you know, great work of literature based on uh, a mummy, the way that they're, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. So instead, Richard Shiler, along with writer uh, Nina Wilcox Putnam, created a nine-page treatment entitled Cagliostro, which was about a 3,000-year-old magician inspired by the uh, Italian cultist Cagliostro who uh, survives by injecting himself with nitrates. Uh Uh-huh. So it was sort of this story of an ancient 3,000-year-old magician uh, surviving by, like, injecting himself and so is that uh, the same as like uh, cabinet of is that the same cabinet of, is that cabinet I, of Cagliostro is that I think that's just a coincidence okay okay all right um yeah. um I think so uh so Lemley was like oh this is good but I really want it to be about mummies and shit so 
uh, then hired writer John L. Balderston, who was a journalist and actually covered the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb back in 1930, back in 1922 for the New York world. So had done a fair amount of research into actual Egyptology and stuff. So he hires uh, John L. Balderstrom to add more Egypt stuff to this treatment. And so it was uh, Balderstrom who then changed Cagliostro to Imhotep, unknown as to why or how much knowledge he had of the real life Imhotep. For all we know, it could just be he thought it was a cool sounding name. Uh Hmm. But uh, that movie is released in 1932, starring Boris Karloff as Imhotep, a mummy who stalks and skulks around, quote, modern day uh, world, picking people off and one by one. Uh, the movie was received mixed reviews, but was a box office success. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen The Mummy at least once in my life, but I'm nowhere near. It's not something I watch again and again and again, like Frankenstein and Dracula. But I, I think it has the same uh, the same game that this plays, which is like every time he kills somebody, he's like a little more human. Yes. As well as yeah. the, the conceit of he's trying to resurrect his beloved. I think her name might even be Anaxana Moon in that one as well. Oh, wow. Okay. It nice. kind of has that tortured romantic subplot mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Uh, unlike his cousins, Dracula and Frankenstein, there are actually no official sequels to The Mummy. There were a series of unrelated films that come out in the 1940s, including The Mummy's Hand in 1940, The Mummy's Tomb in 1942, The Mummy's Ghost in 1944, and The Mummy's Curse in 19, also released in 1944. Uh, In those movies, all of those movies, The Mummy was not played by Boris Karloff. He was instead played by Lon Chaney Jr., a.k.a. The Wolfman. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So kind of loose on like what makes it an unofficial sequel. I guess there's like no bother bothered of continuity compared to like Bride of Frankenstein is like a direct sequel to Frankenstein. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, And I haven't seen any of those other mummy movies. No. Uh, Flash forward to the late 1980s. There were uh, two rock star universal producers, James Jacks and Sean Daniel. So James Jacks at the time had cultivated a, particular reputation of shepherding indie auteurs into Hollywood success. He produced Days and Confused, which was directed by Richard Linklater, Raising Arizona, which was directed by the Coen brothers, and of course, greatest of all, Mallrats, directed by Kevin Smith. Uh, Sean, Sean Daniel, on the other hand, joined Universal in 1976 and by 1985, at only 34 years old, he was the youngest production president in the studio's history. So, wow, these two Universal guys were like, hey, it's the 80s. Let's bring the mummy into a new generation. Let's let's do it. And Universal liked the idea of having a low budget horror franchise under their belt. So they gave Jax and Daniel a budget of $10 million to produce mm. this mummy remake. But they were like, this was, and, and, and what year was this at this point? Uh, this was, well, in 1987, they uh, offered their, they went after their first filmmaker to bring this mummy remake to life. And it was George a Romero. Oh, oh. okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. But they were like low budget horror, scary mummy killing people. It's the eighties. Let's do this. Yeah. 
So those are the kind of the vibes they were chasing. Um, yeah. Slasher mummy. Creep Slasher show mummy. Yeah. Creep show mummy. <laughs> uh, when, did, when did OG Nightmare on Elm Street come out, Scott? Do you know? 84. 84? Okay, so well into the reign of Freddy and Jason. Yes. Uh, George A. Romero wrote a treatment and was attached to direct it. Um, the direct uh, Universal's Abby Bernstein wanted the mummy to be a Terminator-like monster. Like, mm. Mm. You know, he doesn't think, he doesn't stop, he will not stop until you are dead. And uh, Romero eventually kind of drifted away from that because he didn't feel as attached to that as what he was trying to cook up. They uh, approached Clive Barker in 1990 to uh, to make a mummy movie. And he uh, get this, guys, hold on to your hold on to your butts. Uh, He wrote a 1990 treatment that was a dark, violent and sexual drama. Shocking. So so shocking. Yeah. Never would have guessed. Uh, about a art museum that is rebuilt into a tomb in Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. Um, did, it, okay. did, it, did, it, did it turn out uh, in his treatment to be a uh, prequel to Hellraiser? I was going to say, I got very big Hellraiser vibes of like, you can imagine yeah. like a mummy, a romantic high priest mummy slowly turning an art museum into a tomb in Beverly Hills. And it's just like, oh, come to my tomb of pleasure and yeah. <laughs> want and desire and universal was yeah. like well i don't know what we were expecting but the- <laughs> <laughs> uh the- this isn't it they uh were re- they wanted uh they hired like another writer named alan ormsby to create a more straightforward horror tale joan da- joe dante was attached to direct at one point that's that's a interesting choice um, yeah yeah he uh, wanted to make a monster movie really bad and no one ever let him <laughs> Other than yeah. Gremlins. <laughs> That's kind of the closest he got. Uh, so yeah. Joe Dante wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to play the mummy. Oh, I can see that. That okay. makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got a Boris Karloff kind of vibe to him. Yeah. God, it's a shame he never got to play like a monster like that. I mean, he probably just had zero interest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like like, like the, the this attachment... Or or whatever uh, this was here was probably the last time that that ever would have even been a possibility in his career before he became like, no, every movie I do is going to take like five years out of my life and I have to learn how to like cobble shoes or. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, the Joe Dante picture ended up not happening because with the attachment of Daniel Day Lewis, Universal began to bulk at the budget. Mm. And how big it was getting. And he was like, no, we want. Ironically, at the time, they wanted the mummy to be a low budget horror franchise still, which would uh, end up not being the case, obviously, by the time we get to the 90s. And by this time, Universal was in a bit of bad shape. Uh, A series of costly misfires, including but not limited to Babe Pig in the City. Mm. Had uh, resulted in Universal being a little bit desperate for a hit. So uh, Stacy Snyder, the chair of Universal at the time, deli- distributed pamphlets detailing uh, studio holdings and different titles of like, hey, this is what we have. Uh, this is like, you know, open season, folks. You know, we need a hit. Uh, enter director Stephen Sommers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting guy. I didn't know this. Stephen Sommers uh, raised $8,000 to direct his teen racing movie, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, which sold to Khan Film Festival Film Festival for seven million dollars. Wow. wow! You ever seen Catch Me If You Can, Scott? 
not his version, no. Right. I mean, not you know, not the Spielberg one about Frank Abagnale <laughs> yeah. Jr. But um, right. So that was his like big splash onto the scene. However, a mere four years later, he was broke and uh, actually on the verge of like financial collapse. But he uh, his career hit a second life when he wrote and directed some live action Disney movies, The Adventures of Huck Finn. The Jungle Book. Yeah. Remember the Jungle Book movie from the 90s? Yeah. Live action one. So uh, those kind of and then he directed Deep Rising, which I've never seen, but that was kind of like like an underwater horror movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I saw that in theaters, uh, weirdly. Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, I don't remember why. I feel like it was a thing where like my friends just wanted to go. Um, I don't remember it being good. <laughs> uh, though though I've heard like some people say that it's it, it it's actually really fun. Um it's got um a guy who just died uh is in it. Um uh Treat Williams is the lead. Oh wow. Mm. And, and and I think they wrote it for like like Brad Pitt or something like that. Like some some like A-lister and then they ended up turning it down and then they gave it to Treat Williams who was like like a poor man's whoever this A-lister was. Sure. Um, yeah. And so it became, it instantly became a B movie. Um, but like, I guess like there are like some people that, that um, think that this is like one of, I mean, it's like one of the only times Treat Williams got to play the lead in a movie. Um, right. And, uh, and uh, yeah, people, people uh, think it's a, it's a lot of fun and thinks that the DNA of the mummy is, is in there for yeah. sure. Mm. I've, I've heard it brought up in the same breath as like, you know, your event horizons. Right, right. You're, Those uh, like sure. mid mid to late nineties, like underrated, like yeah, genre movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh the Guillermo del Toro movie about the cockroaches. Um, Mimic. Mimic. Yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh so anyway, uh Steven Sommers, you know, saw these pamphlets going around and saw a window of opportunity. He had a vision for a mummy movie that was a mix of Indiana Jones. And Jason and the Argonauts. Rather, okay. rather than a horror movie, a big romantic adventure, fun action movie. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So he reaches out to Jim, da- Jim Jacks and Sean Daniel, who were still attached to the project, pitched his idea for The Mummy. Universal loved it, saw the opportunity, and even upped the budget, ironically. They were now on board for uh, an epic blockbuster tentpole mummy movie. And uh, so Stephen Sommers set off to work. He, uh, believe it or not, did work with an actual Egyptologist from UCLA, an archaeology professor, to add some historical, some historical accuracy to the Mummy movie. Uh, which, you know, I think it passes the audience test at the time of like, yeah. yeah, you know, Evelyn's sort of nerdiness towards Egyptology, their kind of name sh- shouting out gods like Horus and Ra and Anubis. Um, and like Gary at the time, I thought Egyptian mythology was like really cool as a kid. And yeah, this movie kind of like peaked that peaked that interest. Certainly um, fun stuff. Ironically, Tom Cruise was one of the first actors. They reached out to play Rick O'Connell. <laughs> uh, we'll get, um, that's very funny. We'll get back to him in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, other actors that were reached, that were contacted to play Rick were Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck, all of which were either unavailable or uninterested in the part. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, back in 1997, a movie called George of the Jungle was a big hit with critics and audiences. And uh, Universal took a look at that movie and said, I bet we could knock that guy the fuck around for a fraction of the price it would cost to get Brad Pitt or Matt Damon or Tom Cruise in the part. Yeah. yeah. And they did. Brendan Fraser was seen as like the discount choice, the cheaper option. He was an up and coming star. Um, the Treat Williams, if you will. The Treat Williams, <laughs> if you will, of The Mummy. And, uh, you know, I think one of the more interesting things about Brendan Fraser's career in retrospect now, now that we're kind of post the whale, is how open and frank Fraser has been in his uh, mistreatment by the Hollywood system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he was, you know, there were the, the his stories about how he like starved himself to get that George of the Jungle body, right? And how he like was on a really unhealthy diet to get those like hot, sexy abs that everyone loved so much. And now, you know, this movie, there's that famous story where he was literally hung by the right. neck in the mummy, right. and how by the time we get to Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, he said he was like held together by like scotch tape and ice packs. Yeah. Dang, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, I appreciate it because I mean, not to like, I you know, for whatever reason, I think men, male actors aren't as vocal about how they are objectified and mistreated by the system. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that adds to his, our, our, his endearing quality to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not, not, not a ton of stories I have about the <clears throat> making of the mummy. So I guess I just wanted to bring that up now. Um Yeah. Didn't didn't hear a lot of like other names for Evelyn. I know Rachel Weiss was also like an up and coming talent at the time. I don't know what I mean, I think this was definitely the movie that broke her through to American audiences, but I don't know like what, you know, period piece or whatever she had been in prior to this that kind of put her on casting lists. The character of Evelyn is uh, named after Evelyn Carnivon daughter of Egyptologist Lord Carnivon, both of whom were present at the opening <clears throat> of Tutankhamun back in 1922. Filming began in May 4th, on May 4th, Gary, May 4th, 1998. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> filming took place for 17 weeks in Marrakesh, Morocco, because it was seen as less modern at the time than Cairo, so easier to set up to, uh, you know, set dress to look like it was the 1920s or whenever the movie takes place. Uh, Underground sets were built at Shepherd and Studios in London. It took 16 weeks to build. Uh, mm. This was a difficult shoot. Many crew members had to be airlifted to medical care after being bitten or stung by the wildlife in Marrakesh. Dang. Um, bit of a note on the special effects. ILM, Pacific, Tidal, and Cinesite all came together to bring the then at the time innovative special effects to life. A budget of $15 million was spent on just the special effects. And uh, I found this interesting. Arnold Vosloo, Imhotep himself, provided his own motion capture for <clears throat> Imhotep. And uh, there's this quote about how he felt like you uh, a Christmas tree because he had all of these <laughs> mm. bulbs and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's interesting that this is around the time that they're filming, you know, on that best as Jar Jar Binks. Right. Andy Serkis as Gollum. Right. Yeah, and you don't really hear the mummy or Arnold Vosloo ever come up in that discussion, but like 
this was kind of a state of the art movie at the time. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. Um, I would argue that like very little of the CGI in this movie doesn't hold up. Um, yeah. cause they're not overreaching. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, like I, I actually think the opening shot of this movie is like kind of stunning. Um, where Absolutely. you're just kind of like, you're just kind of the camera's just kind of moving over like ancient Egypt, and then you land on the pharaoh in his in his chariot. Um, mm-hmm. It's really gorgeous, it, like one panning shot, you know. Like, yeah, but it's like mm-hmm. it's all visual effects. I assume there's probably some like miniatures mixed in there as well, um, but because it is it is 1999 after all, mm-hmm. um, there's miniatures in Phantom Menace. So um, a lot like stunning. Yeah. A lot of miniatures. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah. So you're 100 percent right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a stunning visual effect thing. I remember um, there was a lot of um, like HBO behind the scenes stuff when this movie was coming out because they used to do that all the time. They'd have these behind the scenes specials for movies that were being released. And I watched all of them all the time. Um, and yeah, I was really excited about this one. And, and that was one of the things that they pushed is like, you've never seen anything like this before. Um, and you kind of hadn't. So yeah. that was a lot though. In 1999, 1999 was a year of seeing a lot of shit you'd never seen before in movies. Absolutely. I mean, some, to some sure. cinephiles, it's like one of the, if not the best year ever for movies. Yeah. It's, it's a pinnacle. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. it's definitely uh it's a flagship year for sure. And we take it for granted now because this has kind of become the definitive mummy movie for a generation, but Somers's package at the time, what he sold to universal, he's like, this isn't going to be a dude in bandages with his arms stretched out, you know, with one leg dragging behind this mummy is going to be gro- yeah. gross, lean, mean, and scary. And so like that vision of Imhotep as like this, like monster this grotesque like cg created you know cg creation was yeah. seen as like a big uh novelty at the time like this isn't your daddy's mummy no pun intended <clears throat> yeah absolutely um i also just want to point out before we get to the to the breakdown Please. um i just want to point out how much horror is actually in this despite the fact that like his pitch are two non-horror things, uh, Indiana Jones and Jason and the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of horror in this. Uh, there's there's a lot of of monsters. There's a you know it's still it's all at a PG thirteen level, but it's also things like you know in that opening sequence, his priest being mummified alive, and yeah. you know people being eaten by scarabs, flesh eating scarabs, and stuff like that. Like that's horrifying stuff. Um, and on top of that. Uh, the plot of Imhotep, like what he does scene to scene once he wakes up, right? There's a lot of Dracula in this. Um, right. He has he has a Renfield um, mm-hmm. in the form of Benny. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he is he is uh, drifting into windows and and sucking the souls out of people instead of the blood out right. of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and and there's like multiple moments where he like stretches his arms out and he's wearing a cape and it's very Dracula esque. Um, he turns into sand instead of mist. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of Dracula in this, uh, which I thought was really uh, interesting this time. Um, that there, there's, there's a lot of, he's playing on a lot of horror tropes that I don't think he's getting credit for, 
um, as much as the Indiana Jones meets Jason and the Argonauts thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Indiana yeah. Jones as well did, you know, no shortage of horror in those movies, especially like the first, the first two. Uh, yeah. Or even three. Yeah. You know, you have like the dude turning into a skeleton. And, right. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. Uh, Gary, any thoughts on all that the info that is dumped on you? Before we go into the breakdown. <laughs> no, I find I'm just listening to you like go through like <clears throat> kind of what brought us to what this movie is, is fascinating. Um, I think Scott's totally right with like how much Dracula is in this. And like just outside of that, like to this day, I don't know what scarabs are really like, but I am terrified by the way they're portrayed in this movie. They like crawl under people's skin. It is yeah. horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh stuff that i appreciated at this watch through um so weirdly you know i logged this on my letterbox and i've only had my letterbox for like five years um Mm. and i've already logged this movie twice wow dang and i have no memory of weird for you that's very weird for you it is and and like i don't remember i couldn't like oh that's right i watched it blank or blank um but clearly this is a movie that i am called to uh but watching it this time for the show, I was really impressed by the little the uh, the craft of mm. this movie. Like, there's a reason that kind of look with, with pirates. I was like, oh, because he ha- he has the shot of the scarab hitting the sand and w- awakening and going into the guy, the warden. We remember it when it's when it is when it goes into Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're like, oh, no, we know what that does. And, like, the, it's scary because we don't want Jonathan to die. Right. Or there's just a lot yeah. of really cool rudimentary cause and effect setup payoff going on in this movie that, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put this on the level of, like, Men in Black or right. other movies that we've covered on this on this show. But, like, I think there's, there's like, it's not just nostalgia that I, that's, I think is powering this movie's timelessness, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I literally, I wish blockbusters still felt like this, um, or at least like some of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Were this well balanced. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, so the, the the movie starts with this prologue um, that I almost always forget about uh, yeah. being a part of this movie. Um, for some reason, I always in my memory, this movie opens with uh, the, the 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 battle. Um, French Foreign Legion scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't. It opens with this with this prologue um, that I always think comes later as a flashback, but it's not. Uh, like, I thought, I, th- I always think that the the med- Magi, what are, what are their the, names? The, the Magi. The, the Magi. Yeah. I always think that, like, the leader of the Magi is, is explaining the legend, and then we get all of that information um, somewhere in the middle of the movie and not, not as a opening prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole section is really good and does a very good job of establishing Emotep both as legitimately a villain from go, but also mm-hmm. you understand why he's doing what he does in the rest of the movie, like why he feels yeah. the way that he feels and 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 um and really sets these two characters up uh, of Imhotep and uh, the the mistress. Um, Anaxuramun. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that um, they they set them up as like as like Egyptians, like natural born killers. You know, right. Egyptians like yeah. Sid uh-huh. Nancy. Um, and, yeah, the uh, narration even says like for their love, they were willing to risk life itself. Right. Right. She was she was his queen. And God, <laughs> yeah. God help anyone who came between him and his queen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the original Joker and Harley Quinn. Uh, yeah, it, 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 so it, it's a really interesting um, prologue sequence. It gives you a ton of information, but, you know, it's all exposition, but it's kind of riveting um, and, and gives you a lot of character insight into Imhotep, a character who I think for the rest of the movie doesn't have any insight whatsoever. Like he is uh, a, a force. He's not a character right. yes. the rest of the movie. Um, and so this is all the character that you get from him. But it's so big and, you know, capital R, romantic, mm-hmm. and just like Effective. sweeping, epic. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it, it, you feel it. Um, and, it, and it's very meaningful, I guess, uh, and, and feeds into the rest of the movie uh, really well. I think so. The audience remembers everything that happens in this opening. And yeah. like, you know, I mean, like, the, I mean, the, that first shot of Anaxana Moon is so, you know, I mean, she's so like beautiful, but also like just the way that she's so interesting looking in her costume and like, mm-hmm. yeah, dynamic the shot of her enter. You remember all of it and like them making out and like him being mummified and like with the, they're pulling the scarabs on him as he's still alive. Like, yeah. you remember all of it and it helps him not to just be uh, a slasher movie villain because you're right. There's never a part where he like is brooding about an Oxuna moon when he's reanimated. Yeah. It's kind of just go, 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 go. But yeah, I think that's why this is such an effective opening for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. Uh, it, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, any, any thoughts on the, on the prologue Gary? There's a bit at the end of this when I was watching it yesterday that, that had like, I had never really thought about before. Cause they talk about how like the, the, he endures the, the hom die. It's like this, ritual that is so blasphemous it's never been used before and the magi have to protect the sarcophagus because he would if he ever awoke would be a plague among humankind and it's like well then why'd you do it like (laughs) you didn't have to kill him this way like you wouldn't have to worry about him coming back if you had just mummified him properly yeah i think this may lead to uh what scott was alluding to at the beginning which I think if the Pharaoh, if this was like the JFK of Pharaohs, you know, yeah. or like the yeah. Barack Obama of Pharaohs, it's like, you fucking, uh, you killed the good, only good Pharaoh we had. You know what? <laughs> worst ever. Haman, give him the worst ever mummification. Because yeah. you suck Fuck so this hard. guy. Fuck this yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also, I think, it's, it's, it's the combo, right? Because she gets killed she takes she her own life executed because oh yeah right 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 um she takes her own life yeah but but like that is uh i think twofold right it's it's one where she's like you're not gonna fuck like they they think that she's the only one who killed him at first mm-hmm. um yeah. and then it's like oh okay well she's dead and and story over so she, she does that to protect emotep but also to not give them the satisfaction of killing her um, mm-hmm. And also because I think she has uh, 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 the belief in Imhotep that he'll be able to resurrect her. Yeah. Um, and they'll be together again. So there's a lot going on there, which is crazy because at that point we're two minutes into the movie. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's three layers happening in that bit, in that bit. Mm-hmm. And that is very impressive. Um, so, so there's all of that, but, but the, the thing that I think that they, that freaks them out is that he was going to do that resurrection spell. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Fuck this guy. Yeah. He no, was like can't. in the middle of it. Yeah. Like, they're like, we can't fuck around with this guy. And I also wonder if they thought like, if they did it any other way, mm. uh, like, would he, would he be find able a way. to weasel his way out of it because of all of his magics and shit that he knows? Yeah. Right. Because in this world, like, the afterlife is, like, a real plane that you can go right. to mm-hmm. that exists. And, like, right. we even see that, we even see the ritual was going to work at the beginning of the movie. We yeah, see- she, like, oh, she breathes, you know, yeah. like, yeah, before it gets interrupted. Um, he has the worst priests ever um like <laughs> they did nothing to help when the bo- like like the bodyguards like all show up the magi all show up and they're just like in the room already Uh-oh. and you're like what the- what you guys are all just standing around why didn't you try to stop any of them yeah <laughs> they're more yeah. effective later when they're mummies right yeah mm-hmm. um yeah definitely uh okay so then we go uh 3000 years later it's 1926 um, the Medjai have, uh, much like, uh, uh, the last crusade, you know, there's like these guys who's like, they're just in charge of like protecting the city of the dead and making sure that nobody finds Imhotep and wakes his ass up. Mm. Um, and, uh, that's like their whole job, the way that those guys, they're the Templar, the, their yeah, whole the nice job Templar. was to yeah. protect the, um, the, uh, the cup. Um, so we meet Rick O'Connell. He's in the French foreign legion. He's fighting a battle. Um, and kind of like the battle is like mostly irrelevant. I mean, you know, you set up the Benny's a piece of shit and, uh, and, and, and you Your set strength up he, gives me strength. <laughs> you set up that we know where the, that he knows where the city is. Um, but right. that's kind of it. Uh, you know, the, the, I always, for some reason in my memory, every time I watch this, I was like, oh yeah. And then he's like arrested at the end of this scene. And that's why he's in jail later. And we find out, no, he's just in jail for being like a, a drunken piece of shit somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> at like a bar and what got arrested. What, what, what does the prison. warden say? Apparently he had a very good time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, probably slept with someone he wasn't supposed to or something like that. Not to start um, pre-dunking on the Tom Cruise mummy, but. Yeah. To me, that movie is so emblematic of everything that is bad about the mid 10s era of blockbuster filmmaking. Uh, yeah. Over explaining, like needing to connect all these, you know, uh, 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 what, what Scott and I have called like uh, uh, bad review. What's that? What's that guy? The YouTube channel? Movie Sin? Cinema Sins. Like Cinema oh, Sins. Yeah. Cinema Sins. Proofing your yeah. movie. Right. Going going back to the opening of the movie and this French Forward Legion sequence, I am shocked. I was shocked last night on what the movie chooses to not explain. Yes. Yeah. Like, why is Rick O'Connell a badass? Why is he in the French Foreign Legion? How did they get to this battle? You don't care. I just remember in 1999, this was like the coolest opening ever. And like, yeah, Rick O'Connell was such a badass and he's double, he's double dual wielding pistols and he's pulling out other yeah. pistols when he's on like, you don't, you don't need any details over where this guy came from because he's just fully formed from frame one. Yeah, for sure. It's also a really smart way to keep the budget down because you just are reusing the set. Um, right. Yeah. Multiple times. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, 
and then we uh he he uh is the last survivor of the of the battle um and then he like runs into the desert and uh the magi are like hey should we kill that guy and they're, they're like ah the desert the, will get him the, uh, yeah the desert will kill him uh yeah good time to bring up uh oded fair as i don't think he's ever named in the movie but you know the lead magi ardeth bay who will return in the mummy returns uh you yes. know yeah this has often been a movie this is a movie that is often credited as having one of the most attractive casts of all time yeah yeah another and insanely hot yet kid. another guy yeah. who's just insanely hot <laughs> yeah just such yeah. a badass so effortlessly cool. he shows up sitting on the horseback looking over the battle with the tattoos on his face and it's just like wow yeah. look at this man <laughs> Uh, and then we get one um, of the most iconic images of the movie, I think, which is like Imhotep's face imprinted on the sand. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And then f- immediately followed by uh, another of the most iconic images from the movie, which is uh, Evelyn being introduced on a ladder next to a bunch of books. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we all love Rachel Weiss now, but uh-huh. I think it's you almost like take it for granted. But like, she's just so effing endearing and i love her and charming in this role and it kind of because like so many characters are kind of going for this sort of like adorable like clumsy nerd but cupid doesn't know it but she just like waltzes through this movie and like Mm -hmm. i mean i mean the gag of like every bookshelf in one take getting knocked so funny so dominoes expertly pulled off too yeah. They they set her up in this moment as being like a little clumsy. And then we meet her brother and it's like, "Oh, of course y'all are related." But then that like clumsiness that like kind of um like un like misfortune doesn't really follow her beyond that first scene, I don't think. No, I think it does. I mean, it just shows that she's um I think that she is uh the clumsiness part of it isn't isn't the thing I think to focus on. It's sure. more that she gets in over her head very quickly. Right. She looks, um, and that yeah, is what's going on looks. with the ladder. Yeah. She's yeah, she like, leans oh, back and then she's um, stuck perched. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. stretch out there. Oh, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And it's the same uh-huh. thing with reading from the book. She causes right. the whole movie. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So it's not her being clumsy. That's not the thing. It's more that uh-huh. she makes a mistake and then is like, oh, f- I really fucked up this time. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, never, uh, they never put a pin in this or call it out. To where it almost, I don't even know if like the writers did this on purpose, but kind of mirrors O'Connell in a cool way of they both have a habit of just diving in without asking questions and just sort of trusting they'll be able to get themselves out of whatever mess they get in. Yeah. But, but he's better at improvisation than she is. Yes, because she just yes. freezes like, oh, oh yeah. shit. And then like causes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it's really good. I also want to shout out uh, her boss. Yes. Um, and Eric Avari. Yeah. And in order to, to, to shout this out, I, I we're going to have to skip forward just to sa- just to Please. talk about the grand scope of this character. I love how much of a piece of shit that he is <laughs> at the beginning uh-huh. of this. And like, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan has the has the has the box and then she opens it and finds the map and she's like look it's a map to the thing and he like burns it and then like he's just like ah it's a big waste of time and whatever and you're like yeah oh, fuck guy you run like a history museum whatever <laughs> yeah what is your problem and then the reveal later that he's one of the magi you're like 
Oh. oh, like it's so good yeah. because it, it, like in retrospect, you're like, oh, of course he was being a dick. He was protecting the city. Like mm-hmm. that's so yeah. good. It's it's so well it's, done, yeah. uh, well executed. Yeah, yeah. I think he's great in this. I love Eric Avari. Uh, I also yeah. a big part of my childhood is Electro Nachios's dad in Daredevil. Um, oh, right. Yeah. that's right. Yeah, just true. one of those one of those great character actor faces. You know. Yeah. And not the only one in this movie. There's there's another major one that I'm I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah. In in a little while, um. But yeah, uh. So they they uh they they uh, uh Evelyn and Jonathan um you know they they bail uh on on work and they're like yeah we're gonna go make an expedition but we need somebody who knows how to get to the city because part of this map is burned mm-hmm. um and so they go and they they hear about um. Uh, Rick O'Connell uh, and go and find out that he's like in a prison uh, in uh, a jail mm-hmm. real quick yeah uh, I going back to two things I wanted to celebrate about Jonathan's first scene is hey I mean I mean John Hanna again like born to play this role like mm-hmm. you remember every he's so good so good again every yeah. this this character is in every movie like yeah. the the wise cracking kind of scoundrel brother but just rarely played this well. Yeah. Um yeah. Going yeah. back to how he's literally yeah. the brother the the wise cracking like bro- brother character is literally that archetype literally is in Jungle Cruise. Um That's right. Like yeah. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. It's her brother, she's the know-it-all and the one that's like going on the adventure. And yeah. and and he's like the oh uh, yeah I don't know maybe just the money or whatever you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. So two things going back to how economical economic this movie is and you know John Hanna and the script is like Evie please b- b- tell me I finally found something like yeah that's all you need to know it's like oh this guy's done this a million times and you're kind of yeah. you're kind of rooting for him and you're happy that yeah. he finally found something yeah and it's and it's also good because you're like oh he got this. Because he met Rick, yeah, and he stole this. He pickpocketed this, and that's how they know to go find Rick at the prison. That's how they track him yeah. down. Because it's like, oh yeah, the guy must have got it from the thing, so we go to him, and he'll know where to go. Um, it's, it's so economical. Yes, yeah, absolutely, plain. so good. Um, uh, also worth worth noting uh, uh, that that actor. What'd you say, John Hanna? Is that what you yes. said his name is? Yeah. Um, you know, he broke over into American audiences uh, via uh, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, um, right, yeah. where he played very notably uh, a gay man um, in that in that uh, in that movie, which right, was at like the time that was kind of huge yeah. at the time because it was like 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, yeah, it was like a, it was a big deal. And uh, yeah, that's not a movie that I like as much as a lot of like that's like a big like Gen X rom-com mm-hmm. movie um mm. four weddings and a funeral uh i don't like the ending of that because i think the female lead sucks um <laughs> i i like no, the no. actress um yeah, i just yeah. the character is bad um and uh <laughs> yeah um i just rewatched this movie and i was like man this ending sucks <laughs> um but uh uh yeah he's in that and he's great and i think that's where uh the the hollywood system found him and was right. like oh we got to get him in something and here he is uh, something that I bring up a lot in movies as like a personal hang up. I'm a I'm a big critic of siblings in movies. Sure. Mm. Where I feel like most screenwriters are just like, yeah, brothers and sisters, they flirt, right? <laughs> like you always think what? they're about to kiss, right? 
No. And, and so I, I, I just, I love the sibling chemistry between John Hanna and Rachel Weiss. They really do feel like brother or sister that grew up kind of picking on each other, but you always get the feeling yeah. that they loved each other and would stick up for one another, you know? Yeah. Um, much, much more, uh, 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 spy kids, uh, energy than, uh, yeah. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums energy. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just like little um, moments where he's like, oh, old mom, you know, you're always f- fucking shit up, aren't you? You know. Uh. <laughs> so they're in the jail. Yeah. Uh, the, the warden uh, brings out Rick O'Connell. Um, he's got really long hair. So I assume <laughs> that this is not 1926 anymore. Uh, this is it's like three years after he the, the Battle of Hamanoptra. Okay, so this is now it's we're in 1929 now. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes the long hair make a lot more sense. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, he's a scoundrel, and uh, one of my favorite like off the cuff lines <laughs> alliances like where, he, where she says, uh, um, a- a- "You swear," and he's like, "Every day, <laughs> every damn day." <laughs> <laughs> like I just I love that. Like that's very good. He's playing. Um, He's playing Indiana Jones via Han Solo. Uh, mm. You know, I, I think it's a much more Han Solo character than an Indiana Jones character yeah. to me. Because he is a scoundrel. And Indiana Jones mm-hmm. is not really a scoundrel. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, it just works, man. It's so, he's so good in this movie. Yeah, when they're about to hang him and he's like, any last requests? And he's like, yeah, loosen the knot. Let me go. And he's like, oh, do I, do I do that? And the guy's like, can he do that? And he's like, no. Like, no. <laughs> uh, it's such a funny gag. <laughs> so this is fun. I didn't even plan on this. The the warden, another another me- very memorable super character actor face that you remember. Uh, warden, I, th- you know, I don't know. Again, I don't know if they ever name him in the movie, but God Hassan, played by uh, Iranian British character actor Omed Dejali, who made a very brief but memorable appearance in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End as the member of the Brethren Court who is like, fuck the code, and then Keith Richards shoots him. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Same, wow. same guy. Is he, is he the only actor uh, from The Mummy that uh, crosses <laughs> over, walks uh, between worlds there? I'm uh, So far that I'm aware of, yes. Okay. Um. So uh, uh, Evie bribes the warden, gets gets Rick released, but the bribe comes with the warden uh, getting half of the treasures that they found, which means he's coming along with on the adventure with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who's running now? Now I guess the inmates are running the asylum now. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on over there. Um, she she haggles him down to twenty five percent, and then I don't think she expects that he's going to show up. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a surprise to everyone when he's there as they're going off on the expedition. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, we get but, that scene we uh, talked but, about where like Rick cleans up super good. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah, he does. Um, that is, uh, I mean, look, I get, I get the George of the Jungle thing, but uh, Brendan Fraser has never looked hotter than that scene in this movie. Um, yeah, like it's just like, God damn, dude, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, That's what Evie says. Yeah, uh, damn, but. But, <laughs> but yeah, they get on the they get on the boat, and there's other treasure hunters on the boat also going the same way. And they're like, "Yeah, we've got a guy who's been there before." Um, and I love the reveal that it's Benny uh, again, yeah. super economical. You're yeah. like, "Oh, of course, yeah, that makes perfect." Of sense. Of course, it's this guy. Yeah, 
Um, so good. Uh, also, I, I know that they're not, but the American treasure hunters are, are so cartoonishly American that it feels like when British people play Americans. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, and also it, very but, but what's funny about that, though, is one of the Americans is the American from that episode of Doctor Who, the, the Dalek episode of Doctor oh, Who. Oh, wow. The, where he's like running the compound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the last oh. American to die. The one that dies with two guns in his hands and runs out of bullets. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's the guy who, who uh, has the Dalek uh, in, in his collection. Um, in Amazing. That season one episode of Doctor Who. So. Yeah, another, I think why this movie hit so hard for kids when it came out was like all of these Americans and Benny and like everyone in this movie is such a caricature, but played so earnestly and full heartedly that like you remember them, even though like I don't know, I don't know their names, but like you remember guy with the glasses, you remember Texan guy with the long hair and like the revolvers. You yeah. Know? I love Guy with the Glasses because I don't think any any human being on the planet has ever looked so incorrect wearing glasses than him. <laughs> <laughs> like, those glasses do not belong on that dude's face. <laughs> uh, again, going back to the economics of the script, the first line of dialogue is like, would you stop wiping those glasses and cut the cards? And he's like, well, without these glasses, I wouldn't be able to see the cards. I'm like, oh. You know, because yeah, no, I that yeah. that's funny, but also it's just like, well, yeah, that's how glasses work. Yeah, I, I know, don't think you yeah. need to explain <laughs> that. So without these glasses, I couldn't yeah. see. <laughs> um. So, but then we are we're introduced to uh, uh the British guy who's funding this expedition, the the rival expedition. Yeah. Um, and he is like a big character actor, most notably, um, playing the the dad, the father of, and the uh, the safari hunter within. The, the game of Jumanji. Um, wow. Yeah, he's he's Robin Williams' uh, dad um, and then plays the, the, the big game hunter, the scary big game safari guy. Yeah. yeah. Egyptologist. Right. What the a Egyptologist. 90s icon. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Seriously. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, that was also the weird era where, like, <laughs> a lot of people decided someone's job should be designing shoes and running a shoe factory. Um, cause that's, <laughs> yeah. that's in Jumanji and in father of the bride, Steve, Steve right. Martin owns a shoe company. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the jobs are now in movies. I feel like, like fashion podcaster that's comes up a lot now. Uh-huh. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, I love the chemistry between, uh, Rick and Benny. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. They're so funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, he has no time for Benny. No patience. Yeah. No. <laughs> just, like, um, as he shouldn't. Yeah. Like. But yeah, he's Benny, a, it's a really miracle of a performance because like you love him, but you also kind of want him to get his comeuppance by the end. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's a he's he's a sniveling little. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 it's but it's in a really fun way. Um, Rick throws him over the boat. Yeah. Uh, and then the Magi uh, attack the boat, set it on fire. Um, really fun uh, sequence of like uh, you know, saving the horses and and getting everybody off the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, really good uh, use of the magi to like keep the the plot going, keep yeah. the keep I the adventure the moving. You know, where he asks Evelyn if she can swim, and she he, he she replies like, "When the occasion calls for it," and he lifts her up and is like, "Well, it calls for it." Just tosses her over the boat. Yeah. That's and really I guess good. going back to the craft and I think why this was a movie that both of you said 
your friends would go back and want to see it again and again and again is and what a lot of movies forget to do is like it's fun yeah it's so fun it's so yeah. fun like when when jonathan sees the americans being like Woo-hoo! and they're shooting he's like americans but then they save him <laughs> and he's like oh oh good job jensen did i panic i think not and then like he falls over like that's like <laughs> just three really fun little moments on top of one another and i feel like movies like uncharted or just tent poles just they're like two and a half hours long and they just forget to be this fun like minute to minute yeah yeah the one part of their intro their their inclusion that i i feel like was wasted Mm -hmm. um was the bit about like um, racing to the city of the dead and whoever gets there first, like it, it's like a $500, they make a $500 bet. Right. And like, that doesn't really amount to anything. No. <laughs> um, other than like, I guess he needed a reason for them to like run across the desert. Um, right. uh, but I also just think like you could have just as easily been like, yeah, no, the view of the city only lasts for like 30 seconds. So you got to fucking go. That's, you cool. know, like that. um, you didn't, yeah. you didn't, I don't think you needed the bet. Uh, to make that happen. Um, so, yeah, because it really doesn't go anywhere. Uh, Something else I wanted to point out, speaking of like the big set piece, the action, because it's something that I think is throughout the whole movie that kind of separates this from Indiana Jones that I want to get both of you guys' takes on. Um, This is a gun-heavy movie. Yes. Yes. Just and, gun- and And... V- like the fakest bullshitty Hollywood guns, yeah. like pop guns. Like, oh yeah, uh, there's that. There's the bit we see the one American who's like <clears throat> pulling back on the hammer to fire, like yeah. a, like a yeah. old western or something. Yeah. Oh, he's a cowboy, Gary. and I, he's a cowboy. It's great. I think it's good. <laughs> I think that's another reason why like bo- kids latched onto this is because it has like a child's idea of what gunfights are. Well, it's like I said, like my, me and my friends would just pinch our fingers and act like we're bang, holding bang, bang. guns because like. Yeah. yeah, in the '90s, there was nothing cooler than guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until you know Columbine that things started shifting. We're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we would not be doing our job as millennials talking about the mummy without covering. Hey, O'Connell, looks to me like I got all the horses. <laughs> and, yeah, hey, looks to me like you're on the wrong side of the river. Yeah, <laughs> iconic. Uh, so, so good. good. So this movie good. is full of incredible lines. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's like that also adds to like the fun of like, even if you've never been on like a mummy adventure, you can relate to like, oh, these two guys are always trying to like one up one another and like, yeah, fuck with the yeah. other one. And it's clear they have history going back long before that battle we saw them in. Yeah. At Hominoptera. Like they already have that sort of tension and banter before Benny runs away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say as a as a mild plus up, um, you know, we're talking about this movie doing all kinds of setups and payoffs and yeah. et cetera. I think it would have been really because the thing that happens in the French Foreign Legion scene is that <clears throat> the attack happens. <clears throat> Benny runs. He goes into the tomb, seals himself inside, <laughs> leaving uh, uh, Rick out. In like out in the open, um, and and yeah. to get attacked, right? I think it would have been really interesting if we find out later in the movie that that was when Benny woke up Imhotep and became his Ooh. his dude, Ooh. and, this and whole that's time. why he's leading them to the city is for Imhotep. 
That's good. Um, yeah, to give him like souls to feed on to escape yeah. out of and promise him he promised him all these riches and all this stuff and whatever. Um, I think that that would have been a really interesting way uh, rather than it just being he's a weasel. I think it would have added another element and it would have let the Renfield thing uh, be a reveal versus a like late addition to the plot. Mm-hmm. Almost also kind of for some reason reminds me of like Quarrel and Voldemort, mm-hmm. where yeah. like yeah, like maybe Emo Hotel. I'm glad I got to uh, shout out both your podcasts, Gary. Um, <laughs> if like at, at some point Imhotep wasn't even able to take physical form yet, but his presence, his consciousness was always at Hominoptera because we even see his face coming up in the right. sand. Yeah, yeah in you the see, sand. that's uh-huh. the thing. He has some kind of power over that place, so he would be able to talk to him, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, bring, yeah. bring me back people Coax to him wake into me doing up. This. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. I like that. Um, cause there's even, I, you know, not to talk about a theme park ride, but there's like a part in the mummy revenge of the mummy roller coaster, yeah. right? Where there are show scenes in it and Emotep, like you go into this place and he's like, Hey, if you work for me, like I'll give you riches beyond imagination. And you see like all this gold and he's like, and if you turn me down and it all turns into like hellfire, yeah. um, before yeah. he shoots you off on the roller coaster. So like. Yeah, like something like that would have been really cool to like reveal that that's what he did to Benny and Benny being such a piece of shit coward, um, uh-huh. you know, g- yeah. he ends up becoming his like Renfield and has been working mm-hmm. for him this whole time. I think that would be such a fascinating wrinkle for for Benny. But also, I do love Benny going through all the different religious like trinkets around his neck, like speaking different languages. No, for sure. And I think you could still do that. um, I think, you know, like, I mean, you know, he could still do that being talked to by like a sand face. Yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's such a good, smart move again. Like, oh, the language of the slaves. You may be. Yeah. Yeah. Curse of the Mummy. Few few roller coasters with a body count. Uh, Revenge of the Mummy. Revenge yes, of the Mummy. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, Literally body, a dark body ride. Count is multiple bodies. <laughs> multiple bodies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, so, so they get to Hominoptera. Well, no, they get the camels. Yeah, they get the camels. Um, they get the camels, and then we, we see uh, uh, Evie's new outfit. Her movie star um, moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, big big movie star moment, absolutely, and uh, yeah, um, Rachel Vice, man, wow, uh, gorgeous. I don't know Rachel if it's Weiss, I, I I still Rachel think my favorite Rachel Vice performance is the Brothers Bloom, but this oh, is like a close yeah. second, certainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so so good. Um, yeah, and then we get we get the 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 race to the city of the dead after after the sun sort of reveals it. That would have been a good horizon. Indiana Jones title. Yeah. Indiana Jones yeah. and the race to the city of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, then we, what's interesting is like we explore the tomb multiple times before Emotep wakes yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. We take our sweet ass time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool thing. Going back to what you said, Scott, I, the little detail of the mummy race is uh, when Evelyn is like racing with her mummy and she's doing the like the kiki, you know, like that thing. And like Rick has that moment where he is just like, just staring like so impressed and surprised and admiration all these emotions that brendan fraser wears on his face and it's like yeah you're the shit like yeah i yeah. love you 
Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's the best. It's so mm-hmm. it's so good. Uh, I do need to point out that you said that she was riding a mummy, not I'm a sorry. camel. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very funny image of her riding a mummy, like piggyback and going, yeah. kick, 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 kick. <laughs> mummy, uh, mummy camel. How does that never happen in these movies? Uh, oh, oh. Um, good, good, good point. Uh, okay. So yeah, then we get the scene where the warden finds the quote unquote blue gold, which I'm like, what a moron. What does that even mean? What is blue gold? You he even, he even sees it's a diagram of what these things do. They're like yeah. inside yeah. of a screaming person, and he's like, ah, that's ah, that's funny. Yeah, and he just he just keeps taking them. Uh, but you know, super memorable uh, sequence. I think, like Gary said, like you remember this, and like it not not it's so scary. Yeah, and not yeah. gory at all, but also really horrific and violent because yeah. you can just imagine what that would feel like and the act. Oh, he yeah. runs into that wall and it, the crunch it's all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That impact is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's wor- it's, it's pretty bad. Um, so after their first night or their first day of, of uh, scoping out the tomb, they go back out to camp and the Magi attack again. Um, Cause they're following them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we mm-hmm. get a, we get a camp battle with the Magi. Um, and then like that goes over fine. Like they kill a bunch of people, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, the head magi is like, "All right, enough blood has been spilt." Yeah, um, and then get they the fuck out of here. And then, and then everybody gets drunk. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we get that great scene of of uh, Evie uh, flirting with Rick while she's drunk, and then like passing out before they can kiss. Uh, What's a place like me doing in a girl like this? Yeah. Oh God, she's so good. Um, and then, she's so good. Another line that I've heard resonated with a, a lot of people into their adulthood when she says, "I am a librarian." Uh huh. Yes. With yeah. so much conviction. It's uh, it's good. Um, it's really good. She is a terrible librarian, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even know how to put books away. <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, and then the Americans, so then the next day, they're back in the tomb again. The Americans find the Book of the Dead. Rick, Evie, and Jonathan find Emotep. Um, and uh, and then and then that's how that ends. But then Evie, like, steals the Book of the Dead away because she has the key, reads from mm-hmm. it, and, uh, yeah, wakes up you, Emotep and all hell breaks You mustn't read from the book! Yeah. It's too late. No, too late. It's already done. Um, yeah, the, uh, the glasses wearing American is the first to get his, uh, eyes and tongue gouged out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, horrific without being super graphic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, uh, and then we get, uh, Benny becoming, uh, Imhotep's, uh, Renfield in the, in the scene with the, with the necklaces, like Gary mm-hmm, talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I we played find- a D D character that that had that trait that Benny like just has trinkets of a bunch of different deities, and every once in a while you get lucky and you contact a god. <laughs> that's a great D D move because they're all real. It was really fun. Yeah, I had no points in religion, and it was, so it was just a flat D twenty roll. And sometimes I got really lucky, and sometimes it went very bad. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, and then we get uh basically. What the what the what the engine of the back half of this movie is because now we're like an hour into the movie, mm-hmm. Emotep's taps yeah. up, uh, and the whole deal is like yeah he's got to suck some souls and he's got to uh, retrieve the the jars of 
um, of uh, of organs, the organ jars that the Americans ran off with, thinking that they were yeah. worth money. Um, <laughs> and so it's a real two, uh, you know, two birds one stone kind of situation because he gets the jar back mm-hmm. and he gets to suck their soul. So it's like a real win win for for Emotep. Yeah, <laughs> for Emotep. That, yeah, that boy, Emotep. Uh, there's a bit in this when Emotep first wakes up as like the escape is happening where uh, they come face to face with Emotep, like, like shambling around for the first time and Emotep like roars Mm -hmm. and then Rick like roars back at him. And shotguns him in the chest. So yeah, it's so funny. Uh, And then then keeps telling everybody, don't worry, I got him. I got him. Uh So (laughs) what's great about that? Uh, And I like that. I like that because it like, it turns around because at the end when the other mummies, when, when the, the priests are, uh, attacking there's a moment where he he does it first he like roars at them and then the three of them roar back and he turns and runs away yeah it's yeah just, uh, uh, set up payoff so fun what i love about yeah. that moment because that's such an iconic moment that you, you know you always remember when like the mummy roars and then rick roars back and shoots him what i forgot until last night is that is the first time he ever sees imhotep yeah yeah and it's so cool for Rick that he's just Bam. like fuck you like shotgun <laughs> yeah, just shoots him it's great he's he's de- Rick is definitely the type that if you put him in a haunted house he is he is punching those scare actors oh um, uh-huh. without a doubt uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's uh um, you know he's remembered as a himbo and I think justifiably so but like he's not like cronk like no yeah it's very subtle he's like subtly a dumbass Kind of like I guess yeah. like Han, Han, Han Solo, you know, right? Where you, it's on the, it's in his mm-hmm. actions and mannerisms where you're like, oh, whoa, he just like, you know, in retrospect, you're like, didn't even know what he, yeah. it was what he was doing at that moment. Yeah, he's definitely a himbo, but he's also a scoundrel, and that mixture doesn't happen super often because it's hard to get right. Right. Yeah. yeah when you think himbo, yeah. you kind of think like Jack Quaid Superman, where he's like, oh shucks, Lois, I'm just a big sexy beefcake. I don't know what nothing about nothing. <laughs> Right, exactly. Or like Chris Hemsworth in uh, Answer the Call. Right, um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Michael but uh, he's like, I don't know how phones work, but I got this job because I'm so hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Emotep uh, kills the first American, um, you know, and uh, then liquid turns to blood. Uh, all liquid, apparently. Uh, they're like, yeah, yeah. The, the rivers will turn to blood, but it was it's all liquid, including like liquor. Um, that yep. they're uh, trying to drink yeah, also turns to blood. Everything turns uh, to blood. I like the detail that Jonathan Gross. just knows all of the plagues by heart and can quote them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is really good. Um, we also learned that Emotep hates cats. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Because they were the guardians. As to why. Yeah, they're the guardians of the afterlife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh my God. Okay, cool. So speaking like shamelessly, shamelessly setting up and payoff. It's around this time when they're at the, the 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 cantina, we meet the Winston, the World War One pilot who just wants yeah. to die. Yes. He's in one scene and it's like, all of my friends are dead and I want to die too, but in a cool way. In a cool way. Anyway, I'll be at the airfield. Bye, Rick. We know each other. I'll be at the airfield. <laughs> it's a very weird runner. Um yeah. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, so the uh, they're like just sort of like wandering around trying to like catch up with Emotep. 
during this section. Yeah. Act two um, kind of drags for me. I think when anytime they're at Hominoptera, it's like all timer banger moment after banger moment. But yeah, this kind of stalkery slasher stuff, I could kind of feel my attention wane. Well, mm. it, and I think it's because it's it's Imhotep who's driving the 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 plot mm-hmm. um, versus the others. Okay. Uh, it's it's when it shifts to them driving the plot that it becomes interesting again. Every time Emotep is driving the plot, it's less interesting. And this is the section where he's doing all the driving. And and uh, right. yeah, it's it's, it's not as it's definitely not as good. Um, but we do get one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is where uh, he walks in on Benny. Realizing that Benny's working for Imhotep, Benny starts to run, and he just throws a whole ass chair at Benny. Just the <laughs> yeah. whole fucking chair. Just picks up a chair and just throws it at him. It's the best. It's like it's such a fucking baller move because you're just he's yeah. like I don't have anything else to throw, so I'm just gonna throw this whole ass chair. Like just yeah, oh, it's the best, and it looks it looks like it hurts. <laughs> I think that is it's that moment we're you know talking about character define like we don't we don't really know that much about rick's origins or why he got how he joined the french for legion or whatever but it's moments like him picking up a whole chair and throwing it at benny or shotgunning imhotep in the chest where it's like i don't think indiana jones would do that right no. right right like, yeah that's that those are the moments where you're like who the fuck is this guy yeah 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 and unfortunately, I don't think he has a lot of moments like that in any of the sequels. Um, Definitely not the the third one. He's he's too much of a dad in both of them. Yeah. Yeah. They give him a kid too soon, I think. Oh, man. Do they ever. Who boy. Anyway, we'll get into um, it next week. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, they make a lot of mistakes, uh, but we'll get into it uh, next week. <laughs> um. And then we get the, uh, uh, yeah, again, uh, uh, Dracula vibes. Um, so, so the, okay, so the British guy bites it, um, and then immediately followed by a, another American, uh, treasure hunter. Um, and then, uh, he like drifts into Evie's room and like kisses her while she's asleep. It's very Dracula. Um, yeah. Like very Dracula. Uh, and then we get Jonathan pulling a shot of the dead. Where he like oh, runs God. out, uh, runs yep. outside, where everyone's like emo tap in, and so <laughs> I, he just starts acting like everyone else, so they don't notice him, and he can get to the car. Um, it's so funny, yeah. And it's like, like, wow, that's like five years before Shaun yeah. of the Dead did the same thing. And it's such a cool because, like, it's like the chair moment. I think another reason why this became a movie that people wanted to watch again and again and again is like in that moment, Jonathan is like, you he does. I, I, audiences love it when a character is allowed to be clever yeah yeah that's what i would do or like oh that's so funny that he did that like he was using his head it's so good that it works like yeah yeah this movie has a sense of fun of like knowing when to let stuff work or Mm -hmm. letting characters like get out of their own messes they find themselves in and i think it's a it's shocking how many other adventure action movies like this forget to make moves like that right Like, it's always, like, right now, like, all we do now are super dry, sort of, like, one-liners, like, like the stuff that Nolan would do, 
um mm-hmm. in in like the the dark knight movies and and um you know again like in the Snyder in Snyder movies of like I thought she was with you you know like that kind of thing mm-hmm. um where you're just yeah. like are we joking right now is this an appropriate time for this this feels so weird <laughs> this, uh-huh. this all seems very serious it's so serious the whole rest of this yeah. film like are you cracking a joke yeah. that's so out of character for you or it's the thing that we we talked about a lot with the with the um the Watts trilogy in Spider-Man, it's, it's making fun of the situation in some way. Yeah. Um, mm. Rather than finding humor in the situation, it's the characters being like, man, this is really stupid. Um, you know, and, and that's not as, that's not as fun either. And, like, and those tend to be like yeah. the two options. Top five moments ever in a movie for me, or is like in Indiana Jones and the last crusade where he, they're on the tank and he shoots, he fires one bullet and it goes through five Nazis at once and they all fall over. And he just kind of like looks at the gun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I no. think I could do that. It's oh, a, God. Yeah. It's a thin line, you know, like mm-hmm. clever in on the joke, but not being too in on the joke to where, you know, because like, yeah, you, like the danger is there. You know that if he doesn't do this right, they could like kill him. But. He yeah. gets out in a very like fun way. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's self aware without breaking a fourth the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we get the car chase, which is which is a fun uh, action sequence. I yeah. think um, ends with the final American getting his soul sucked or or whatever, mm-hmm. um, getting killed, getting iced, and uh, and then oh, a lot um, of these extras and towns village extras are real townspeople in marrakesh oh that's, that's cool that is cool little tip. um hire local yeah. uh <laughs> yeah and then um uh evie leaves with imhotep um you know because she's like hey this is kind of our only option it's like either i i go with him and and he he doesn't kill you guys or he kills you guys and then takes me anyway so yeah like she ha- yeah. she makes that point of like because even oh then the 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 head magi even like confirms it because evie is like no like he can't kill me until she does the ritual so yeah he has to take her to hominoptera to do this like there's right. time here yeah right like, you would at least have that and, and yeah yeah the magi re- replies like live today fight tomorrow right yeah um, yeah once he's then, in the uh, crew things really kick into high gear I yeah. love him. He's and, then, great. and then Evie's boss sacrifices himself to He's the, to the hordes of move. the locals. Yeah. yeah. Go! Yeah. Um, so everybody else can escape in the in the sewer. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And then we get we go immediately into uh, uh, Winston uh, getting his death wish. Yeah, um, uh, it's really cool, just fun. Like we're watching a movie moment where he's like, "So what's the plan?" He's like, "Save the damsel in distress, stop the monster, save the world." And he's like, "Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, let's go." That's <laughs> like, yeah, we're yeah, that's movie. worth dying over. <laughs> let's Hell go. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm coming, um, boys. Yeah. Uh, and then we get another big like trailer moment, which is like the plane versus the sandstorm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah his sand face uh, and how he can like, you know, become the same. I think this is kind of like non actor character beats, sort of like the thing that everyone remembers from the mummy movie. It's like, Oh yeah. And the sand, mm-hmm. the big sand guy in his face for sure. And it's, it eats the plane. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And it's, and it's one of my, you know, it's one of, it's one of the problems with, with uh Spider-Man three is that like doing the Sandman, he just kind of recreates a lot of stuff that happens here. 
Um, mm. you know, weirdly, and uh, a lot of new stuff as well. But uh, there's also a lot of like stuff that's like lifted straight out of the mummy. <laughs> Hell, the mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy. Yeah, true. It's very like, true. What if she manipulated sand? And it's like we we did this. Yeah, already. I get it. I don't. I don't know why the. Con- I don't know what the connection is. Uh, <laughs> specifically, yeah. Um, why sand and not any dirt? Uh, is she an earthbender? Like what? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Um, when the plane crashes and the head magi pulls out the helicopter gun, and he's like, "This will work." <laughs> yeah. Um, Badass. Yeah. So then the the resurrection spell begins. Uh, Aksu Namon, uh, her mummy is resurrected, mm-hmm. um, and starts, uh, hanging out. And then we get like this sort of like split thing where Jonathan is attempting to read from the book while Evie is fighting with the mummy Aksu Numan, and, uh, and, and, uh, Rick is just like fighting every mummy in the temple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a uh, brief note on the, the priest mummies, this was, yeah. uh, Steven Sommers saw this as his opportunity to like, okay, look, I don't want Imhotep to be bandages, you know, hand stretched out. Like I want to do something really scary and hardcore, but I think with the priest mummies, that is our opportunity to do the classic, what the audience Mm -hmm. thinks mummies are like and kind of have some more fun with it. And we don't have to take these guys as seriously as, as Imhotep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, for Halloween, I don't know if it was this year or the year after this movie came out, but I did, I was a mummy for Halloween oh, when I was like eight or nine or 10, something amazing. like that, like in that age range. Uh, and uh, definitely did the shambling, like, yeah. stereotypical yeah. mummy thing. The under wraps mummy. Yes. Yeah, yeah um, the, basically the, the, uh, the zombie before zombies were a thing. Um, the, yeah. like, mummies yeah. are the original zombies. <laughs> And uh, something I noticed during this whole set piece where it's like, you know, Rick, you know, Dan, you know, fighting, fighting around the tomb and punching all these mummies. Um, Brendan Fraser is a talented actor. He's good at a lot of stuff. Yeah. He is God level S tier at acting at stuff that isn't really there. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just without a doubt. An expert. Looney Tunes back in action. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. He's just like um, I don't know, his physics, his physicality whenever he's like you really feel like they're there and that's really underrated in these kinds yeah. of movies to actually kind of feel like you're connecting, making kinetic stuff, connect touching stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this was this was uh 3 2 2 3 3 years before Dobby, which is like, you know, kind of legendarily like one of the worst like <laughs> acting with a thing that isn't there. Uh, yeah um, <laughs> things were like the eye lines don't even match um so yeah uh this is this is really really good especially for um the era like he is mm-hmm. selling it um it's uh it's really really good stuff and has like full of like really cool like action scene moments um you know of of people uh you know my favorite action set pieces are always the ones where uh they think they've got it got it handled and then 
they get the rug pulled out from under them and, you know, and then have to like improvise to figure out a better solution. And my favorite moment of that in this movie is when he can't reach the sword, but then the mummy hand goes and grabs the sword. Yeah! And so he just grabs the mummy hand cause it's closer and then kills the mummies with the sword. Um, so how, good. That mummy's going to like crush him with a slab and then he's like, Arr! and then crushes himself with the slab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause he cuts out his legs. Yeah, it's so good. That's fun. Um no, I I I uh, I love all of that. Um and then uh and then uh, Jonathan gets control, he uses the book of the of, of Amun Ra uh to get control of the mummies, and then the mummies all uh murder <laughs> just Molly Moon. Just yeah. She gets done really dirty. I I I did not remember that part of the movie where she's like, Wait, what? And they just like stab the shit out of her. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, she gets she gets what she did to the priest. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just desserts. Um, I forget and, how uh, little of her, because she's a much bigger presence in The Mummy Returns. Oh, is that right? I remember nothing about The Mummy Returns Ooh, other okay. than there's, <laughs> there's an annoying kid. Uh, and The Rock is in it and in the worst CGI that's ever been captured on film. Um, yeah, that's all I remember. Uh, really, I, of I the think I, Returns. I think I may have rented that one even more, knowing it wasn't yeah, as good. I have no idea what the <laughs> plot of The Mummy Returns is. Um, Reading material. I, I don't think I've ever revisited it once uh, after seeing it in theaters. Well, so you're going to because um, the listeners demanded it. Yep. Uh, that'll be an interesting, uh, conversation. Um, then, uh, Evie reads the curse and, uh, there's this great moment where Emotep's soul is dragged away by like this, like ghost chariot. I'm like, where, where the fuck did these guys come from? <laughs> it's so cool. He's chasing it makes no it. sense, but I love no, it. Yeah. My soul. Yeah. Um, and that, and that for some reason makes him mortal, not having a soul, I guess. Um, yeah. which is. I guess an interesting uh, statement on mortality. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. And then he stabs, yeah. you know, Rick stabs him and then he uh, gets sucked into that, that bog. Yeah. That like pool yeah. of souls. Yeah. And he um, says, and, uh, and says, uh, death is only the beginning, which is also what he says right before your roller coaster launches on revenge of the mummy. That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what Evelyn says. That's what. Well, yeah, that's what he's, but she's 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 no, saying. No, no, I was making it. I was making a joke. That's what he says oh. at the beginning of the Revenge of the Mummy roller coaster. <laughs> oh, 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 I see, I see. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, she translates it, um, and uh, there you go. Um, oh, then he uh, sets off the trap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of go back to cause and effect. Like nothing. It's not random that that happens. Like the audience sees, like, oh, because Benny did this. It starts this chain reaction. Now they have to get out yeah. of here. And, yeah. then, and then he's trapped inside when everyone else escapes, even though, you know, he Rick tries his best to get him through, but it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Big and, uh, uh, Mac and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull vibes. Right. Right. And uh and and uh yeah, Benny's trapped and uh the scarabs attack him as soon as his uh, torch goes out, and then the whole city collapses. Yep. Um uh, so uh, little joke that I yeah. love is when they're escaping, there's that kind of one, two beat of Jonathan drops the book and Evie's like the book you try. We have to go like, come on. And they grab her. And then later they're running past all the treasure and Jonathan's like, Oh, but the treasure. And they, then they drag him and they're like, come on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then they all they all ride off into the sunset, and it's it's literally the same ending as uh, as uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, Sala and Indy kiss full on the mouth, and then uh-huh. they share a camel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful uh, ending. It's and it's you know we talk about this guy a lot. Where you know it's always nice when a movie's like and get the fuck out of here. It's over. Go home. Right. Yeah, we're done. It's um, over. Yeah, we don't need to cut back to the city uh, and and showing that uh, one is one character is teaching the other one how to drive. Um, that's not. We don't need that epilogue. <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> about Jungle over? Cruise. Oh, Jungle see, Cruise. I, the movie, that movie, I see. That's my Mummy Returns. I remember nothing about Jungle Cruise. Yeah, that's that's how Jungle Cruise gets to this part, and then rather than going to credits, they cut to both of them living in the city together. And I don't remember which is which, but one of them is teaching the other one how to drive. I think the Rock. I don't think the Rock knows how to drive. Yeah, that might has, be right. I think she oh, might be wearing teaching that cra- him how to drive. He's wearing that yeah. little suit, and it looks so crazy because no one as big as yeah. the Rock was alive before 1978. Yeah. And then they're, <laughs> then the car just like drives wackily away, and you're like, "Oh, all right." All right. And oh. then the credits roll, and you're like, oh. "Wow, that was." I'm really glad we spent the the the, the five minutes uh, in the city with this with this scene. This was very necessary. I'm glad you guys spent money. On Added that. a whole lot to the end of that. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. They were definitely worth the probably ten million dollars you spent <laughs> on that scene. Yeah, definitely <laughs> for sure. Uh, Gary, did you see Jungle Cruise? I have not seen Jungle Cruise. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm giving it a hard time. It's more fun than you think it is. It's just I've it, heard it's just good things. About yeah, it. it just pales in comparison, obviously, to the Mummy. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Every everything released in the summer of 2021 gets like a, a bell curve because I was like, I'm alive. I did it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Um, um, so that's the Mummy. That is the Mummy. Fucking love this movie. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. Li- it it's great. Um, structurally, it's very. It, it, it's the thing that I'm so impressed by is how long it takes us to get to Emotep, get to the titular mummy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you do, it, 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 and it does it because it knows how VFX heavy that's going to be, and that's mm-hmm. going to be expensive. So to save it, they save it all for the end, so that you're like, well, now it's like wall to wall VFX, and you don't notice that, you know. It, it, otherwise, it would have yeah. had to be really sparsed out. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and so they they just wait, and it works. Like somehow that works. Like they make the first half of the movie so interesting that it works. And like Nick said, in fact, if there's a lull in this movie, it's during the VFX heavy Emotep <laughs> slasher sequence. So yeah, yeah, it's and, uh, it's it's great. Great and now that you mention it, Scott, they do a really smart thing of like, yes, he's super VFX heavy, but as the movie goes on, he's getting more and more human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, speaking of like, as he's getting more and more human, one of the things that uh, like unsettles me so much in this movie is there's a the moment where like a scarab crawls out of the hole in his neck and then into the hole in his mouth, his cheek, and he eats it. Yeah. It's so gross. Yeah. Yeah. I, all I think about when that happens was like, did you eat bugs when you were alive? What is this? <laughs> yeah, that's super Spielberg. He's barely a person anymore. Yeah. He's like, more mummy than man. <laughs> <laughs> it bums me out a little bit that this is far and away Steven Sommers' best film. Like, yeah. He was never really, because it's such, there's so much energy in this. And like you go to like, you know, Van Helsing. Or the G.I. Joe movie, 
and he just was never able really to like get lightning to strike again. Yeah. No, and I and I think that it's largely because um the biggest mistake he made was was making the mummy returns. Uh mm. or at least making it what it was, which mm. I will talk more about that next week. Um but uh yeah, I think making a direct sequel to this movie was the biggest mistake that this franchise ever did. Nice. Um yeah, can't wait yeah. to talk about it. Uh yeah. Gary, closing thoughts on the mummy nineteen ninety nine. I Literally watched this last night, and we talked through it for, like, two hours, and I still want to just go sit and watch it again. Like, this is one of my favorite movies, I think. Like, I don't rewatch it, like, as often as I rewatch stuff like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or whatever. But, like, every time I rewatch this film, it is just a goddamn delight. Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just pure fun. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary, it's been so great having you on the show. Um, so delighted that I got to be here for for the the best of the Mummy franchise. Yeah. Uh, everyone, uh, please listen to to Gary's uh, Star Wars show, New Republic Archives. Yeah. Um, should be airing. We're new planning episodes. on coming back soon. We've already started recording again. Oh, okay. so, so yeah, you'll have new episodes. Don't have a date by the time this comes yet. out for sure. Probably. Um, Probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're we're pretty far out from this coming out. So um, I I had a feeling I told someone that I was going to be on this, on, on this show to talk about the mummy. And they were like, Oh my God, let me know when it drops. And I was like, it's probably months away. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. Um, But uh, in any event, uh, Gary, thanks so much for uh, joining us for this. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening um, as always. And uh, you know, uh, this was not a chore this episode. Um, but uh, the rest of this probably will be the rest of this mini series. Um, I wish and, you the best of luck. <laughs> and uh, you know what, uh, guys, we're doing it for you. You asked for it, so you better goddamn listen. Uh, tune in next week <laughs> for the Mummy Returns. Uh, goddamn it, because uh, you did this to us. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.